Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Liu. This is Stephen Liu, Director of Thoracic Oncology at Georgetown University. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Dr. Anne-Marie Baird on the topic of global advocacy for lung cancer. Now, globally, lung cancer is the single most lethal cancer, counting for 1.8 million deaths just last year. And yet the research funding devoted to lung cancer pales in comparison to some other cancer types. This is in part due to a lack of awareness, as well as the stigma inappropriately associated with lung cancer. To make positive change, we need the support of a strong advocacy community. And today, we'll talk about the progress we've made on a global scale and the challenges and barriers that remain in place. Our guest, Dr. Anne-Marie Baird, is a cancer researcher at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. She's also a passionate lung cancer advocate. She's a previous ISLC fellow recipient, the immediate past chair of the ISLC Communications Committee, an ISLC STARS mentor, and the newly appointed president of Lung Cancer Europe, a European platform for lung cancer advocacy. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. Emery, can you just tell us a little about how you became involved in the lung cancer advocacy community? Yeah, so I got involved, I guess, in a bit of a sort of phased approach in that in our family, we had two deaths from small cell lung cancer, both my grandmother and my aunt. And when my aunt passed away from small cell lung cancer, you know, I was in the middle of my PhD, which was in lung cancer at the time. And it was my first experience of stigma associated with the disease. And I think that's just because, you know, I was that bit more in tune. I was that bit more aware of what was going on around me. And it was very, very difficult for our family to deal with some of the stigma that was received. And that really made me think to myself, well, do you know what? I need to do more than just being in the lab every day. I need to go out there and I need to be a voice for the community. But in a way, I'm very typically Irish, rural Irish person. I come from Donegal. I found it quite difficult, I guess, to find my voice. I knew I wanted to find it, but I found it difficult to find it, if that makes sense. So I started off in lung cancer social media on that amazing community on Twitter. And I was extremely lucky to get to know so many people there who really helped me find my voice. And then I moved to Australia for a little while and I worked there. And then I really grew in terms of advocacy. And when I left Australia to return home to Ireland, I felt much more confident then to be more involved in advocacy. And it's kind of funny, when you dip your toe in the water, you can get in very, very quickly. And that's, I think, what happened to me. It took so long for the buildup, but then once I got in, you know, I started working more with the ISLC. I started working more with European organizations and Unlike everything, one thing leads to another and leads to another. And that's how I ended up, you know, with my work with Lung Cancer Europe as well. So it was that personal experience. And then I guess taking that little bit of time to find my voice before I really, really got truly into the advocacy committee. We're certainly glad that you did. Uh, maybe I'll take a step back just for our audience. We have all types of listeners. So anne can you maybe explain what an advocate is and why they're so important to the field? Well, I think there's a lot of different definitions out there that people place around advocates and what advocacy is. And I think sometimes it's a very personalized take on that. 
And I think for me, it's about publicly supporting. That's what I feel advocacy is. Sometimes people feel it's more in terms of helping to navigate. So being there to help communicate people living with the disease and, you know, their clinical teams or with clinical trials or whatever it might be. But for me, I feel my role as an advocate is really publicly supporting anything where there's areas that have to be supported within the lung cancer community, if that makes sense. So basically anything that would have an impact on someone living with this disease and those in a caregiving capacity, that my role as an advocate is to really try and publicly support that and do what I can to help advance the cause. And I think it's really, really important because, you know, clinicians, scientists, you know, anyone involved within the lung cancer community needs to be aware of the value of an advocate voice and a patient advocate voice as well, because, you know, your role is you're trying to translate what's happening within the community to the powers that be to try and influence whether it's policy change or, you know, different funding of research streams, whatever it might be. And I think that's what makes it so important. And it's also, I think, to remind people that this is a person that you're talking about. This is someone who's impacted by lung cancer and their lived experience must be taken on board, whatever other decisions are made within the community that impacts any part of the lung cancer care pathway. So, I mean, for me, I see advocacy as something that's really very broad, but it's all around supporting what needs to happen or things that need to have a bigger voice within the advocacy community. Anne-Marie, that's so, that's so well put. Um, you, you mentioned policy, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. You know, advocacy and policy intersect at so many points. Can you talk a little more about the role of an advocate or an advocacy group in healthcare policy, uh, maybe using lung cancer screening as an example? Well, I hope you don't mind, but I'm probably going to answer this maybe a little bit simply or with a bit of simplicity. I think a lot of the times the role of an advocate, an advocate or an advocacy group when it comes to something like healthcare policy is around humanizing the disease. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, sometimes people are only interested or aware of a type of disease if it's something that's impacted them personally. So I think within the lung cancer community, part, I think what I try to do is around humanizing the disease with those that are in decision-making capacity. Because I think if you don't do that, I think the stigma associated with lung cancer can bias certain individuals. And then lung cancer doesn't get onto the, the agenda. It's not there at the table. It's not represented at all. And in, you know, you give a good example in terms of lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening is something that has been shown to save lives. Yet lung cancer screening is not something that's available to everyone who should be able to avail of it. And I think now in Europe, there's a huge number of conversations going on because next year we're going to get an update on the EU Council recommendations on cancer screening. And Lung Cancer Europe and a lot of other respiratory organisations have been trying so hard to ensure that lung cancer screening gets a good voice so that hopefully we'll get it on to those updated guidelines. But it's difficult. There's lots of different biases that people have around this disease. You know, they are possibly harboring some stigma themselves towards people impacted by this disease. 
So I think by us lending the voice of the community, humanizing the disease, and really showing the impact that something like lung cancer screening can do for our community is really what's going to help us institute policy change. And I think as well as that, you know, the more the voice is heard and the more the voice is valued, I think that's where we're really going to see then the benefits in those policy changes as well. Because sometimes the two can interconnect, but the, the importance is missed because of people maybe not placing enough value on the advocacy community. I've been watching some of those conversations on social media, and I'm really glad to hear those discussions taking place because I think your point is extremely important that you know a lot of the stigma and bias, some of it might be a little implicit. Maybe some of the, the policymakers aren't even sort of aware of why they're I want to discuss things. And so bringing these conversations to the forefront, I think, are, are really important. We'll be watching that very closely. Yeah. And I think as well for us, you know, not just within the advocacy community, but those in the scientific community, there's definitely an awful lot of misinformation out there around lung cancer screening. So I think the onus is on us to tackle that disinformation so that those that are having those decisions to be made around screening actually have the most accurate, up-to-date information on which they should base their decisions on. I agree with sort of the way that you put it. I think that's something worth saying again, that that you know, a patient advocate can be a cancer researcher, can be a doctor, can be a patient. All of us can play a, a very important role in advocacy. And a lot of the times those go hand in hand. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Now you're also closely involved in the ISLC STARS program as a mentor. Can you maybe tell the audience a little about that program and, and the experience? Yeah, so the STARS program, I'm extremely so lucky and privileged to be part of the STARS program. It's an amazing program by the ISLC, which is supportive training for advocates on research and science. So this is not just about, you know, people coming forward and sharing their experiences and challenges, but this is about having a program which is supporting advocates to become more involved in, you know, in research and being able to understand the research that's been undertaken and being able to communicate that out to the community. Because I think there has been instances before where there's been a little bit of a mistranslation. And then once something gets out there within the community, it can be taken as is. But when you look into it, you realize there was a bit of mistranslation there and then misinformation is getting out community. And I think this is one of the really important roles that STARS serves because it's providing that really important platform for people to get more up-to-date on lung cancer science and research and be able to communicate that effectively and to interact and communicate with researchers, regulators, industry, agencies, whatever it might be. And this is something that's so critically important within the community and something as well that the STARS program can help with is really providing that education and empowerment to participate in things like grant reviews, advisory boards, And the more that we have people that are patient um, research advocates, the more that we can get that foot at the table to be involved in those really, really important discussions at the very beginning, rather than at the end when it sometimes can be a little bit of a tick box exercise. So I think STARS and other programs like it serve a huge positive impact within the community in helping creating patient research advocates. And as a mentor, 
It really has been my privilege to get to know all of the participants that have taken part. And, you know, I'm learning all the time. I think sometimes when people meet scientists or clinicians, they think, oh, this person probably knows everything about everything. But I think in a way, I sort of humanize the scientists a little bit by saying to the participants, you know, we don't know everything either. And, you know, how research goes and how, you know, hypotheses are generated and data is interpreted and all of those different things. I think it's letting them see that, look, we're, you know, we're all in the same playing field because none of us know everything about everything, if that makes sense. And I think in terms of my sort of perspectives on patient research advocacy, it's just, you know, cemented it even more in my head and the things that I do, why it is so, so important to have people out there that are empowered, educated and trained to really ensure that there's a strong advocate voice in anything that's to do with lung cancer research and science and so on. It makes things so much better, so much more impactful. I remember when I did my first grand reviews for the Department of Defense here, they had, you know, had the the foresight to have patient advocates on the review team and sort of listening to the perspective and these thoughtful reviews made me a better reviewer and I think made the projects more impactful and better. And, and the, you know, the next year when I came in, my, my reviews were much better because I had sort of been given a little insight into that perspective. So I think it's really important and I'm glad to see that's being done more. Yeah, it is because when you think about it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of studies out there showing that, you know, what clinicians or scientists are deeming as priority research questions for the lung cancer community is not always necessary in line with what um, people living with this disease would prioritize. So I think that's really, really important, you know, getting that lived experience, getting that input from the very start. So whether it's a translational research program, basic research, a clinical trial, whatever it might be, that you have that input for the, from the very beginning so that whatever the outputs are, you know they're more likely to better benefit the community. So I think that's really important in ensuring that we have all of the dots joined up, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And you also touched on sort of the, the value of sort of battling or sort of shooting down disinformation, misinformation. And I think when we're on social media, well, a lot of us are sort of passive and just sort of taking things in. I think you'd agree we need more positive, informed voices um, to really, I think of a couple of really big examples where misinformation has been very harmful over the past year or two. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll start to see more informed voices coming to light. Mm-hmm. I think so. But I think like, you know, social media, we've all experienced the great positivity that can come from social media. But, you know, as you say, we also experienced that negativity as well. But I think it's one of those things, you know, sometimes when people, and of course, this is not the case for everybody, but sometimes people do put stuff on social media for the lung cancer community, and they genuinely believe what they're sharing or what they're saying is true and accurate. But I think as a community, you know, we have a role to reach out to that individual or or those people and just explain, well, actually, if you look at the data or whatever it might be, the project, this is actually what it means, or this is what it could mean for the community. Because I think sometimes we're maybe a little bit slower in kind of coming forward to try and tackle disinformation, because I guess we don't want to be that person. But I think it's really important that we do that. And obviously, you know, you have to do that in an appropriate way as well, because 
the last thing you want to do is to scare off, you know, engagement and interaction within the community. But I do feel we have an important role to play in reaching out to individuals, you know, explaining and, you know, further educating on whatever it might be that the post was made about. Yeah. Emery, have you seen changes or growth in patient advocacy, you know, specifically in Ireland and maybe, maybe Europe as a whole? Yes, there definitely has been changes in growth within the advocacy community. But, and, and I can only talk from my own personal experience. So apologies to anyone out there who's had a different experience from me. You know, although we have witnessed change and witnessed growth, I think we are still very far behind somewhere like the US and the amount of stuff that goes on in advocacy within the US. You know, there's much larger organizations. Of course, there's much more people and so on. So, you know, I I feel we still have a good bit to go. But I think what I have witnessed is more people coming forward to want to be involved. But I think sometimes the barrier is a bit like me when I was trying to find my voice. They want to be involved, but they just don't know how to get involved. So I think it's just important to, you know, for people already in the advocacy community to be approachable and to say, look, this is something you'd like to find out more about or want to take part on you know, reach out, get in touch. We're all here, community to help each other. And I think, you know, by doing that, it would help build the community here in Ireland and in Europe as a whole. I do feel though, if we look at Europe specifically, you know, everyone has a little bit of a misunderstanding that English is the working language for everyone across Europe. And that's just not the case. So I think one of the issues within you know, advocacy across Europe is there's a lot of cultural differences, there's a lot of language differences, and it's just, you know, you can't take a one-size-fits-all approach. So, of course, when you have to take a very individualized country or regional approach, it takes a lot more, you know, time, capacity, and involvement, and sometimes people just don't have that. So I think that's something we have to get better at, and, you know, in lung cancer Europe, we're trying very hard to do that ourselves, but I know we have more to do too, but I think, you know, irrespective if it's Ireland or another European country, I think, you know, having a more global view of advocacy is what we need. I mean, issues might be different within countries, but there's a lot of issues no matter where you are in the world and you have a diagnosis of lung cancer. There's a lot of issues that overlap. So I think it's about, you know, coming together more as a community and helping people learn from experiences and best practices and just being available and approachable so that, you know, you can further build the community within your own country and other countries as well. We talk a little more about your perspective from Ireland. Do you think there's still a challenge with stigma and lung cancer today in Ireland? Yes, I do. And again, other people are probably going to have other perspectives on that too. I think the thing about stigma is sometimes people may not be aware that their thoughts and feelings about something is stigmatizing or harbors stigma. But I think within the lung cancer community, you know, given that link with smoking, I think people just see smoking and they automatically can make judgments or comments about someone who's living with lung cancer. And I think within Ireland, we still see that stigma around the disease. I think we're probably improving a little bit, but I think we've a very far way to go. I mean, I know from my family's experience, shortly after my aunt was diagnosed, one of the first things I was asked was, 
did she smoke? Oh, well, what do you expect then? And it's like a horrific thing to say to anybody. But I think sometimes when people hear lung cancer, they can feel that they have a free reign to ask whatever kind of question they want to ask, no matter how horrible it is or no matter how useless it is. I mean, you know, for someone to walk up to someone else and ask around that, like, what difference does it make to anybody what someone's smoking history is? It doesn't. The important thing is being there to support that individual who's dealing with a lung cancer diagnosis and helping to support their family. So I do think stigma has huge negative impacts and effects. And I think what's happening as well to a number of people within the community, they feel even more isolated because of stigma. And in certain instances, people might have a lung cancer diagnosis, but they don't want to tell anyone else. So they might say they've breast or prostate cancer instead because that sort of takes this pressure off them and having to nearly defend themselves or to fight to get a little bit of empathy from the public. And that's really, really, really difficult. I mean, you know, we need to do a lot more to tackle the stigma around the disease. And we also need to look at ourselves and, you know, put ourselves in other people's shoes and positions and say to ourselves, well, what will help this individual? What will help this family? rather than asking questions like, oh, well, did you smoke? Very well said. You know, we should be supporting patients and really the stigma is doing the opposite. And it has an impact Mm -hmm. on research funding and awareness. And I think perpetuates this nihilism that we have regarding therapies and why a lot of our patients aren't even referred to discuss. So major negative consequences. And we definitely need to start talking about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole host, no matter where you look in the pathway, it kind of impacts and I mean, we've already seen with studies that have been published, you know, it, it affects in engagement and interaction with healthcare professionals. It affects, you know, the time someone might take from experiencing a symptom to going to the primary healthcare practitioner. You know, it is a whole host of different things that it impacts. And I think we just need to be more aware of that, that, you know, words have impact, words matter, words can make a very big difference to someone living with this disease. Yeah. Emory, you're also now the president of Lung Cancer Europe. And so with, with sort of those missions in mind, can you tell us about that organization and your role there? Yes. So I, again, I'm an incredibly lucky individual that I got to work with Lung Cancer Europe. I started off in an ambassador role with Lucha, and then I was elected onto the board. And then in May of last year, I was elected as president of the organization. And Lucha are an umbrella nonprofit organization. And really, our primary purpose and focus is to be the voice of people impacted by lung cancer in Europe. And really, what we're trying to do is advocate and network to improve outcomes for the community. And everything we do is based around three pillars of education, awareness and advocacy And at the moment, we have about 21 European countries represented, and that includes a mix of full members and associated individual members. And of course, we're trying to increase that member base all of the time. But my role within Lucha is very varied. You could be giving a talk at a conference, you could be taking part in a patient advisory board, you could be sitting on a patient council or steering committee. It really is very, very. And of course, we do have a lot of interaction with industry. And, you know, we do our own research, our own projects, but we also obviously collaborate with other groups for other projects as well. 
And something that I obviously am aware of, but even more so with my work with ISLC stars and with Lucha, is that, you know, I don't have lung cancer. You know, when you are trying to be an advocate for the lung cancer community, you always have to be very aware that, you know, people are coming to talk to you about different issues within the community and you need to be very careful as to how you translate that information when you're at a patient advisory board or whether you know, you're at a steering committee or you're involved in a clinical trial or whatever it might be. So I do you know, feel that in my role in Lucha that you, know, you do feel, I don't know if stress or pressure are the right words that I'm looking for, but I know I have to be really cognizant of the fact that I'm in a very privileged position where people are coming to me, people are talking about some of the, you know, the worst experiences of their life. And, you know, my role is to try and translate that accurately so that any work I do with Lucha or anything I do for the patient community, no matter where it is, that I'm accurately translating that. I'm sorry, that's probably a very stumbly answer, but it's just, you know, I'm aware of what I, you know, what my limitations are. But obviously, like anyone else within the community, I try my best to do whatever I can do for the community. I think that we could have a whole episode, Emery, just on time management from you because you're doing so many things. I mean, this is on top of, you know, you're also full-time cancer researcher as well. And, and, and I'm not sure how you manage to do all these things at once. I'm incredibly, again, I know I've used the term lucky quite a lot, but my university, Trinity College Dublin, are so supportive I have a PI called Professor Orla Sheilas, who is also supremely supportive. And I think I'm incredibly lucky that both my university and my PI know that, you know, there's more to being a researcher than just being in the lab. You know, it's about outreach, it's about engagement, it's about advocacy, it's about all of those different things. And with the support of my PI and my university, it allows me to do an awful lot within the advocacy space. But of course, my family as well are so super supportive. So without all of that, I couldn't do the things that I can do. So it's really a mark to them that they can help me do what I can do. But in terms of time management, I'm probably not the best example. You'd probably need someone with a better example than me. Sometimes I can time manage quite effectively and other times I can't. But it's a learning curve. And again, we just try our best to do what we can do. Well, you know, on that note, Anne-Marie, do you have any advice for someone who's listening who wants to get a little more involved in lung cancer advocacy? Um, well, my advice would be reach out, you know, reach out to someone within the community, you know, whether it's sending them a message on social media, whether it's getting their email address and, you know, sending them a quick email, just reach out, have a conversation with someone in the community, you know, figure out, is it something that you do want to do or is it something that you might just want to find out a little bit more about, but you're still not sure and you need a little bit more time. You know, it's like everything. If you don't reach out, you'll never know. I mean, advocacy is not for everybody, but at least by, you know, reaching out within the community, you're able to find out a little bit more about it and then are able to make, you know, kind of a more informed decision about what you would like to do in the advocacy space. So it's really about reaching out. And as we hopefully return to face-to-face meetings in the not-too-distant future, you know, if you go to a meeting or if you go to a talk, 
you know, don't be afraid of asking questions. Don't be afraid of staying behind and asking someone about maybe their research or what it is they're doing, or if they have someone that they can put you in touch with if you have other questions. So it's just making that first step, reaching out and seeing how you feel about it, and then making a decision from there. You know, Amory, we've made a lot of important progress in lung cancer, recognizing the role of cancer advocacy, developing a participatory care model. Those have been critical pieces of that progress. And I think you played a major role in a lot of the work that you've done. So I want to thank Dr. Anne-Marie Baird for joining us today. And, you know, of course, for all of the work she has done and continues to do to advance our field really on all fronts. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official IASLC podcast. I hope you'll tune in regularly to give us a listen. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, www.iaslc.org, in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.